Thank you, Jenny. Good morning. So over the last couple weeks, we have seen in Romans 3 um, that it was full of legal terminology as if we were in court and there was a case made against us. And in Romans 4, it was full of financial terminology and it would be language that was very familiar to anyone who was in the accountant world. Um, prior to that, we saw that we are all sinners very clearly, um, that none of us are without excuse, um, or none of us have excuse um, when it comes to understanding truth. Um, and so now we move into um, Paul unpacking more of what can be expected by those who do actually place their faith in the Lord Jesus and are counted righteous because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So here's our outline for today. We're going to um, first look at the blessings of our justification and how we are assured that justification um, is a um, ongoing state. Um, we're going to look at the basis of our just justification, and then we're going to um, wrap it up by looking at how grace is revealed in this chapter. But before we dive into the lesson, let's look at this next slide. Okay, so I'm sure a lot of you have um, maybe seen either this particular picture or something similar. Um, it's an optical illusion. There are at least two different pictures in this picture, two different images in this picture. Um, and if you've already seen it, then you probably can't unsee it, right? You already know that there are two different women in this picture. Um, but until you actually see it, until your eye can grasp the context and see the structure, um, you don't really know and you can't really figure out how there are two different women um, shown in this picture. And so in some ways, that's kind of what we are dealing with um, in this passage. Um, Paul is telling us that there was something that was always there, but until something else, until the context and structure was given, it wasn't um, visible to the eye or understandable to the heart and to the mind. So um, just so just we can look at the picture now. If you kind of zoom out, you can see um, uh, an older woman who has a cigarette coming out of her mouth. And she has kind of a, a larger nose with fringe coming down. Um, and then if you kind of zoom in, what was the nose on the zoomed out picture, um, that is actually the jawline of a different woman who's looking a left um, over to the left side of the picture and you only catch her profile. So um, like I said, once you see it, you can't unsee it, but until you have the context and the structure, it's difficult to see what's right in front of your face. So let's go ahead and look at uh, Romans 5, verses 1 through 4. And I'm reading from the NLT. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, 
Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So Paul's opening line here um, in the ESV, he says, since we have been justified by faith, or in the NLT, since we have been made right with God, I'm sorry, made right in God's sight by faith, indicates that everything that potentially separates us from God has now been cleared away for those of us who believe in Jesus. And in doing so, um, that clearing away has opened the door for us to have peace with God. Faith in Christ's work, as we have seen over the last few weeks and will continue to see through the rest of Romans, faith in Christ's work is the key to everything. Our justification is not simply a guarantee of heaven, as grateful as we are for that, but it is also the source of tremendous blessings that we enjoy here and now. While God declared us righteous in Jesus Christ, he also assured us that justification is a lasting state. Here in Romans 5, seven blessing, we, are, we see seven blessings that emphasize that assurance. So the first one we see in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. We have peace with God because of the work of Christ on the cross. And because we have been declared righteous by God on account of what Christ has done, um, we have peace with God. And that peace is lasting peace. It's not just peace for eternity with God. It is peace here and now. We have peace in our relationship with God. One commentator put it this way. Being condemned because of our sin is a proclamation of war. Being justified and declared righteous is a proclamation of peace. There is peace in our relationship with God um, because of what Christ has done. Secondly, we are given access to God. Look at the first part of verse 2. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved, undeserved privilege where we now stand. The Lord Jesus is the one through whom we have gained this access. And that word access um, indicates a privilege of approach to one who is of high rank. Um, so just as it's stated here um, in verse 2, this is a privilege that we have now because we, um, when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And so we have the privilege of approach um, and can boldly approach the throne of grace as the author of Hebrews tells us. And then in the second part of that verse, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We have this glorious hope. Because of Christ, Christians anticipate the time when they will share Christ's glory. And this is in contrast with how without Christ we fall short of the glory of God. If you remember back to Romans 3, I'm going to read Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then 
what does Paul say in Romans 5, verse 2? This is from the ESV. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So because of Christ and what he has accomplished for us on the cross, we move from having fallen short of the glory of God to then being able to have hope in the glory of God. We then um, see in verses 3 and 4, Paul talks about character. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This is character that has been proven by fire. As believers, we can be grateful for the peace with God that has already been achieved and look forward to the glorious hope in the future in God's presence that awaits us. But how should we live right now, particularly when we are faced with situations that are difficult and maybe even overwhelming? Paul indicates that these sufferings are being used by God to reveal his work in us. We are to rejoice Boast is what the Greek says. We are to boast in our sufferings, according to Paul. The word sufferings here is the same word that James uses in James 1, verse 2, when he tells us to count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds. This is more than stoic endurance of troubles or trials. Rather, as believers suffer, they develop steadfastness. That's the word endurance here, or perseverance in other translations. We develop steadfastness, that, and that quality deepens our character. And a deepened, tested character results in hope. And that hope is in the truth and understanding that God will, in fact, see us through. So endurance, or steadfastness, or perseverance is the first result in a chain reaction uh, that, that is an outgrowth from distress. For believers, when we are distressed, we don't just have to be distressed and there's no hope. There is always the moving forward. There's always a, um, a trajectory on which we are able to go because of the hope that we have, because of the spirit indwelling us. Um, we are given everything that we need for life and godliness. And so when we are faced with these trials and tribulations, these sufferings, we can know, even while we're in that trial and tribulation, that um, God is working perseverance in us, which will build, build character, which will then remind us, again, of our confident hope in the um, future and the, the future and the now relationship that we have with the one true God. So in some ways, this uh, progression, this trajectory that starts with distress or suffering um, can be thought of as like what we just looked at on that um, picture of the optical illusion. So suffering here would be the structure or the context in which we then can begin to see that God has, in fact, given us everything that we need for life and godliness. 
Um, first or Second Peter 1, 3 tells us that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness in our knowledge of him. In Ephesians 1, um, 13 and 14, as well as Ephesians 4, verse 30, tell us that we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He is the down payment for our future hope. He, is seal, he has sealed us. And so in all of those, knowing that the Holy Spirit has sealed us and indwelt us, and knowing that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, that means that when we're sealed, we're given everything that we need for life and godliness. The suffering, the distress, the difficulty that we experience in life, um, it's part of the sanctification, and we'll get into sanctification later in Romans, but um, that can be thought of as the context and structure, the suffering, that can be thought of as the context and structure in which all that has been placed in us by the Holy Spirit, all that has been given to us um, by the work of the Lord Jesus, then is manifest in our lives. So again, that suffering produces perseverance, that steadfastness, which produces character, which then um, results in hope, that reminder of our eternal hope, but also the hope that God is with us currently and constantly that um, because we are sealed with the holy spirit we have the presence of the lord jesus with us at all times so when we declare our faith in christ and look to him as our salvation we can know absolutely that even in the midst of suffering even in the midst of distress that he is doing that good work in us that paul talks about in philippians 1 6 and he will carry out that good work in us as we press on, as we remain steadfast, because he is the one who has done the work and has completed the work. So let's go on to verse 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So um, exactly what I just mentioned from Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4, we have the Holy Spirit within us that... Um, that shows us and reminds us of how dearly God loves us. Um, and because of that, we can be reminded that God's love lives within us. It is the inner experience of this love through the Spirit that sustains us as we go through those sufferings that we just talked about. God did not wait for us to take the first step back to him, but he intervened in an act of pure grace to provide the one way for us to, to um, be reconciled to him. 
the reality of God's love in a believer's heart gives the assurance that the believer's hope in God and his promise of glory is not misplaced and will not fail. This ministry of the Holy Spirit is related to his presence in believers as the seal of God and the down payment that I just mentioned from Ephesians of their inheritance of glory. And then in verses 9 and 10, we see the salvation from the future wrath. Remember back in Romans 1 and 2, we talked a lot about God, the, the wrath of God and, um, and what that means for those who are not in Christ Jesus. Since we are in Christ Jesus, when we place our hope, when we place our faith in Christ Jesus and what he did for us on the cross by taking um, the punishment of our sin and then not just taking the punishment, like Kristen said last week, not just taking the punishment and bringing us to zero, but he then gave us life on top of taking the punishment. So we were fully redeemed. So now we're in the black instead of in the red. Um, we have um, sure hope and confidence that um, salvation saves us and prevents us from experiencing the wrath of God. In verses 10 and 11, we see that we have reconciliation with God. This is the assurance and guarantee of um, the fact that through Christ, we have received reconciliation. Since God has reconciled godless enemies to our, our himself, which is us, we are the godless enemies. He's reconciled us to himself when um, we were still his enemy he reconciled us to him and so because of that we can back to the very first blessing that was mentioned we can have peace with God so let's move down to Romans 5 12 through 17 when Adam sinned sin entered the world Adam's sin brought death so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So sin came through one man and death spread to all men because one sinned. So we are given in this passage... Um, a better understanding of an accounting of the accounting of sin. It's not as if people were getting off the hook before the law was given. After all, everyone besides Enoch and Elijah died, um, which 
again, death was spread because sin entered the world. Um, What Paul has in mind here is God reconciling accounts for the sin committed. Again, let's think back to Romans 4 with that accounting language. And um, what happened when the law came was not that all of a sudden there was, um, there was sin. It was that now there was a context, context and a structure for an accounting system um, to be made for sin. Because there was no accounting system before the law came through Moses, um, that's why there wasn't an understanding of the amount of sin that was going on. Um, again, go ba- going back to Romans 1, we know from verses 18 and 19 that, there, um, that no one has an excuse um, to stand before God and say, well, I didn't know, because God has written the truth on our hearts, and he has made it clear through creation, um, the Psalms tell us, that, um, that he is God, and we are not, and there is a gap between us. Um, so although Adam did sin and disobey an explicit command of God, God told him, don't go and eat of that tree. And he and Adam, I mean, he and Eve um, went and ate of the tree. So they did disobey an explicit command. And yet um, the entire time between Adam and Moses, people were still sinning. But because there had not been an explicit law given yet, um, there was no sen- kind of sense of accounting um, prior to the law being given. So here is where we can think about the op- optical illusion again. The two different images are always there, even before you have the context with which to see them. So even before the law was given, there was sin. There was murder. There was lust. There was um, disobeying the parents. Uh, All of that was going on before the law was given, but they didn't have the context in which to identify these different explicit sins. So the law just provided a context and framework for sin to finally be accounted. So moving on to Adam versus Christ. With Adam, death multiplied because all have sinned. With Jesus... Grace multiplied as God's gift of forgiveness was offered to everyone. Note here in verse 15, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. That Note here that God's grace abounds in the sense of reaching and being available to everyone, but not necessarily being accepted by all. Each one, both Adam and Jesus, they change lives, but with different causes and obviously very different effects. So in verse 17, we see that not now, instead of only death spreading to all because of the sin of one man, The gifts of grace and righteousness are offered to all who respond in faith because of the righteousness of one man. So this teaching of the certainty of life life in Christ supports what Paul has taught earlier in the chapter in verses 1 through 11. We can be sure of final salvation because of our relationship to Christ 
and that it guarantees we will reign in life. So in verses 18 to 21, let me read those. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So these last four verses in some ways reiterate everything that Paul has already said in this entire chapter. Adam's one act led to condemnation for the world, and Jesus' one act made life-giving justification available to the world. Um, If you go through the verses from 12 to 21, um, you see the word one more than 10 times. Paul is honing us in on this understanding that because death came through one man, death then can, or life can also come through another man. Um, Because of our union with Adam made us sinners, our union with Christ offers us um, life. So again, another way that Paul rephrases the same thing in verse 19 is disobedience versus obedience. Um, The same conclusion is stated again, where Adam's act of rebellion is now identified as disobedience, and the sacrificial death of Christ is now identified as, as obedience. The provision in the one righteous act is the potential for life, and it comes to the entire human race as an offer, which is then applied only to those who receive the gift of righteousness that we saw in verse 17. Sin versus grace. In these last two verses, verse 20 and 21, we see that Paul reaffirms again the purpose of the law and that it was to promote the knowledge of sin. But there is a corresponding principle at work. Just as the law helped us to understand what sin was, um, then just as basically then the knowledge of sin increases because of the law, also grace increased all the more. And grace will always triumph over sin. Grace is always larger and longer and fuller than sin is. Um, Grace, and the, the thing that we need to remember is that grace was not an addition to God's plan. Grace was God's, part of God's plan from the very beginning because one man sinned, and one came to reconcile us with God. God dealt with Adam and Eve in grace. He dealt with the patriarchs in grace. He, de- he dealt with the entire nation of Israel in grace. He gave the law through Moses not to replace grace, but to reveal man's need for grace. Again, the law gave us the structure and the context in which for us, in which we can then understand our desperate state before God if we don't have his grace. 
The law is temporary, but grace is eternal. The result was that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. No matter how great human sin becomes, God's grace overflows beyond it and abundantly exceeds it. So how do I think grace is revealed in this chapter? We are assured that God's grace is greater and more abundant than all our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Great grace that is greater than all my sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good grace. I thank you for your abundant love, your lavish love that you poured on us, out on us while we were still sinners, that you came at just the right time, and we're grateful for that. Father, would you go with us into our um, groups as we discuss this passage? Would you um, guide and direct our conversations? May, them, may they be edifying and challenging, um, and may all of them point us to you. Change us, Father, um, into your likeness, that we might be a reflection of your grace to us, to this lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen.